Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here with me. Go ahead and, and, and get this out of the way before we get going. I hope I'm a little bit better than I was last week because I feel like I spent 90% of the message coughing. And so if you notice up here today, I've got my coffee here with me today just to kind of help out with my throat. And I got a pocket full of cough drops to kind of help battle whatever this is that's going on here. But hopefully we can get through the message this morning. Um, before we get started, I want to kind of update you guys on some things that are going on. Number one, be in prayer for our CR missions team that's been in New York City this past week. They left Thursday, did some ministry Friday, Saturday, coming back today, giving out all the coats that we uh, provided for them as a church. I thought this was really neat. Uh, We had set a goal of about 150 uh, coats from our congregation. We didn't tell you guys that, and you guys in your faithfulness gave over 170 coats, and so they were able to go and and give those out. I've been texting with the team the whole time they were up there. And I do know before they started giving things away for free, right? Because sometimes you're like, all right, is this this whole bait and switch? But just in conversations that they were able to have with people on the street as they were coming by, I do know that Mark Babb, the, our, our leader of CR, was able to lead one man to the Lord standing out there. And so we celebrate all that God is, is doing with that. Also, as you leave, I want to encourage you to stop by our, our tree. We got them in building one and over in building two. And we've got those wonderful paper ornaments on the tree. And those are the prayer requests for our missionary partners. And we want to challenge you to grab off one of those, put it on your Christmas tree. And then as you see that throughout this season, you'll be reminded to pray for those missionaries and specific with that prayer request. And then there is a package beside each one of those trees. And that's not for decoration, it's there for a purpose. Instead, Instead of us going out and sponsoring a family or, or an organization, what we're looking to do during this season is to bless uh, the Stotman family in Hope Valley Church. And so if you would have gone and, and bought a gift or, or done something like that and then donated through there, we ask that you just give financially. And 100% of all that goes into that will be sent to them as they continue on in their ministry there. We will be collecting that through Christmas Eve, so the Christmas Eve service will be the last opportunity in order to be able to give to that. And, and last with our missions of wanting to, to share this, uh, Rick and Tina Nolan, who are part of our church family and who are missionaries right now in Athens, Greece, and they are working with Afghan refugees. They asked if we could pray for them. So on December 8th, 9th, and 10th, so coming up this week, they will be hosting a Christmas party. Now, how many of you over the course of a Christmas season will have a get-together, a party at your house, or will go to one, right? Raise your hand, all right? So they're going to be hosting one, or they'll be hosting three, the 8th, 9th, and 10th. They've invited somewhere between the number of 300 to 400 Afghan refugees to come and to partake in a meal and a celebration with them Will they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I probably ain't inviting 300 people to my house, uh, but that's what they're doing is we want to pray for them. And, and they just asked, they said, please pray that they'll come and that their hearts will be receptive. So, so with that, I want us to go ahead and go before the Lord in prayer to pray specifically for Rick and Tina Nolan and their ministry. So would you join me? Lord, I thank you for the Nolans. 
Lord, I thank you for the call that you placed on their life and their willingness to go. Lord, to take their gifts and their talents that you would bless them with and to use them to make known your name amongst a difficult, hard-to-reach group of people. Lord, we pray for these parties that they're going to be hosting. Lord, we pray for the people who will come. Lord, we pray for a mighty work to take place. Lord, we pray for, for culture barriers, for language barriers to be crossed for the sake of the gospel and through the power of your Spirit. And Lord, that maybe men and women and children could come to faith in Jesus Christ through this. Lord, I thank you for Rick and Tina and the model of obedience that they've shown. Lord, may they be blessed. May they feel your presence. Lord, may they feel your peace. Lord, may they feel your presence with them as they minister. And Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing. We thank you for the man in New York City who received Christ as his Savior. We thank you for the Stopmans this morning as they gather together in West Jordan, Utah, and Lord, as they gather with their church, many of them lost to hear the word of the Lord, where we pray that lives will be changed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We almost forgot this. If you didn't grab uh, your Lord's Supper elements, they are back here at the very back of the auditorium. And so as we get started, not a big deal. You can stand up, go back there. At the end of the message, we will be taking the Lord's Supper together. So if you've got your Bibles, go and open up to John chapter 1. As you turn there, if you were to have looked at the end of the gospel in John chapter 20, you would find the reason why John is writing his gospel. And this is important for us to see and to take note of as we work through this. As you turn, I want to read to you John 20, verses 30 and 31. that says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so John is telling you at the end of this, so, so imagine you're, you're receiving this gospel of John for the very first time. You've began in John chapter 1, like we're going to begin in this morning. You don't know anything about who Jesus is when you begin to read. And then you get to John chapter 20, verse 30, and it becomes clear the whole point of everything that he's told. Every parable that's listed, every miracle that's there, every conversation that happens, John says it's, it's for a point. And the point of all of this is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so a couple things as we, as we get into this that's going to be very important for us in understanding John chapter 1. So, so everything that John writes, number one, is inspired which means this, it's given to him by God. It's not John sitting down and trying to be creative and come up with things on his own. It's not John forming a group and saying, okay, what do we need to talk about? It's John writing through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God from God so that we can read and so that people can be saved. Number two, everything that John writes is intentional. It's intentional. I think this is really important. John says he left some things out. He left some things out. 
So what John's saying is there's going to be some other things that you may read, that you see that there's these other miracles that are there, and I left them out of mine, and, and that's okay. So as John is, is working through all of this, he's writing in his mind for an intentional reason and an intentional purpose because he believes that all of these things communicate who Christ is, and all of it matters. He's intentional. It's not happenstance. And then lastly, it's firsthand. It's firsthand. For, for the most part, there, there are some accounts that he has to share, but for the most part, John is, is sharing with you what he saw, what he experienced, and who he knows Christ to be. And so John is being very deliberate and being inspired by God in writing and saying, you know, I saw this, but here's what I want to focus in on, and here's what I want to do in this. And so let's begin reading in John chapter 1, verse 1. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so what I want us to see first is here is Jesus is the Word. Now, we're going to read verse 14 later, but I want to jump down real quick. In fact, it's not going to even be on the screen and, and read it to you. And it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so from 14, we can see who John is talking about when he says the Word. It is Jesus. And so Jesus is the Word. Now, it's kind of peculiar as we read through this. There's four Gospels that start things in very different ways. Now, again, I want you to put you in the audience of someone who's receiving this letter, and you open it up, and you see, in the beginning was the Word. Huh? The Word? And the Word was with God. Again, what, what is this Word? And the Word was God. And He, okay, so, so it's He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Why did John choose the word? Remember, John's being intentional with this. Remember, John's inspired in this. So why not just say Jesus? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Why not just say that? Why say word? And I believe it's very important that John says word. This word for us here, a literal translation of that word, the word is logos, is spoken word. And so in the beginning was the spoken word. And the spoken word was with God and the spoken word was God. When we think about the story of Scripture as a whole, God speaking has been a very key aspect of the narrative of Scripture. In Genesis 1, God speaks creation into 
being. In Genesis chapter 2, God speaks to Adam about the fruit of the tree that he's not supposed to eat. And we get, begin to see this pattern of what God is doing as he speaks to people. God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark, the spoken word of God, the save people. God speaks to Abraham to tell him that he will create from him a great nation, the spoken word of God that will create a holy people. God speaks to Moses and tells him to return to Egypt and lead God's people from captivity, the spoken word of God that sets people free from what enslaves them. We see God speaking and creating and causing things to fall into place according to his plan, not by the written word of God, but by the spoken word of God being the very means by which these things would take place. But then God also in Scripture needs to speak to his people. And we largely see God speaking to larger groups of people using a group of individuals called prophets. And so God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would then deliver the message to the people. Some examples of those, Moses was a prophet who took the message to Pharaoh. Nathan was the prophet who took a message to King David. And there are many, many others that we see in Scripture in the accounts that are listed about writing about the prophets, the word of the prophets, from Isaiah to Malachi. Sixteen books of the Bible are prophets who are given a message from God to an audience, and there are more than just these in the Old Testament. And so we see that God is continually working and moving by using the spoken word of God to put into place and to call his people to himself. But following Micah, Malachi, I'm sorry, following Malachi, God stopped and God was silent. And God was silent not for a moment, not for a minute. Not for a small season, but for 400 years. And then the story that we're going to talk about, the story that we're going to think about, and all of these things, Jesus is born. And then in the, before the public ministry of Jesus, there's this crazy guy in the wilderness, John the Baptist. And he's a prophet who calling people to repent because the Messiah is coming. And so what John, the writer of the gospel, not John the Baptist, he captures this moment. And he says, we've been hearing about the spoken word. What's being delivered to us has been the spoken word. When we study the prophets, we, we read about the spoken word. When we hear about Moses and Noah and God's faithfulness, we hear about the spoken word of God. But now, now what God has sent to us is the Christ, the Son of God, and everything which embodies in him is the spoken word of God. He's all of it. He's every aspect, he's every detail, he's every moment. He doesn't need to send Moses to set the captives free because Jesus is what sets free. He doesn't send Noah to build an ark where you can run into the ark to find salvation. 
and to found life because you'll find it in Christ and in Christ alone. It doesn't need to be from Abraham because God's people are going to be a different people, bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. So in this very first verse, John's going to take what everything is going to be about in the entire gospel narrative of John, and he says, I want to point you to this so that you can see all that this book is going to talk about so that you can place your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So what does it mean that Jesus is the Word? Jesus is the Word, and the Word is eternal. John says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus always was, always is, and always will be. He is not defined by time as he is before time. He is different than us in that he is not created. Church, to say that Jesus is eternal is this, that in salvation, Jesus is not the backup plan, right? Maybe a lot of you watched football yesterday. I watched some. We all know my team didn't play yesterday, right? Maybe one day, but not right now. When I coached football, one of the most important things that we had, a time frame for us, it was important of what we would take care during the course of the week. But as the game got started, things would need to be adjusted. And so what was important for us is to go in at halftime and say this, I know we planned this all week long, but fellas, it ain't working. So instead, for this second half of the football game, this is what our plan was. But now for the second half of the game, we're going to scrap this and we're going to go forward with this. And we've got about 10 minutes. I know we've spent 12 hours doing this, preparing for this. But now we've got 10 minutes to, to plan and to prepare for this. That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't a simple halftime adjustment. Jesus is the eternal will, the eternal word of God. Not only is Jesus is the word eternal, but Jesus is the word, and the word is creator. That all things were made through him, is what John writes. In the work of creation, he is the means by which we all exist. And if he is the means of the creation, and we are the creation, then we exist for him is what scripture tells us, because creation belongs to him. And this is gonna be so important when it comes to giving your life to Christ and receiving Christ as savior, that he is mine, but I am his. That he is the creator, God, the word is creator, but then also Jesus is the word and the word is divine. Scripture says the word was with God and the word was God. The, the, the beautiful mystery of the doctrine of the Trinity that begins to unfold. The word was with God, but also the word is God. Father, Son, and what we'll begin to see later, the Holy Spirit. And that he has relationship with God, but yet he is God. He perfectly reflects all that God is in deity but in a distinct person of Christ. So that as we look and as we see this life of Jesus, we are seeing a man, but we are seeing God in him, 
and through him of every fiber of who he is, 100% man, 100% God, and the divine nature of Christ. And so let's keep reading as John begins. And he says, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so now John shifts a little bit from the word to the light. And what we see here, not hard to figure out this point, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. What is the light a symbol of? The light is the symbol of hope, of hope, right? Think about it. How many of you, let's let's be honest, we're doing a show of hands today. How many of you at some point in time in your life, maybe even still today, we're not going to call you out, but at some point in time in your life, you were afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? I was. I was petrified of the dark, right? And what brought you hope, right? It was that little teeny tiny nightlight that your parents would put into your room. Or like what I loved is, is, is my, my door had to stay shut, but my, there was about a gap about that big underneath my bedroom door, and my parents would leave the hallway light on, right? And then right before they went to bed, it was my goal to be asleep before they did because they cut off the light. And if they cut off that light and I was still asleep, there was no sleep for me that night, right? Because I was petrified of the dark. But the light brought hope. And the light took away the fear. And this is what Jesus brings as light here for him is hope. Now you and I, we need to think about hope a little bit differently. Hope is is not what we often think of when we think of biblical hope. Here's what I would describe it as. I don't know about you, but I remember being in school, and and, and I was a procrastinator. I was a delayer. And I'll never forget, we'd have those times where the teacher would say, we're going to have a test tomorrow, so make sure you study. And then I would get home, and my friends were ready to play football. My friends were ready to play basketball. There was a TV show that I wanted to watch. And so I was like, absolutely, I can study later. And so I would go and do all of those things, right? And then I'd get home, and now it's time to go to bed, so I'm going to go to bed. But it's okay, because I can study in the morning. And then I'd get to school early in the morning. And then my friends would want to hang out and talk. And so I would sit around and hang out and talk. And then all of a sudden, class would begin, and I haven't studied. And I would have hope that maybe, just maybe, the teacher would forget that we're supposed to have a test, right? That never happened, not one time, but I always hope for it. That's not what this hope is. It's not just simply a desire for something beneficial for us to happen. But biblical hope is a confident expectation that good will come because of what we know to be true. I read this this week and I found it very interesting that in the Bible, whenever hope is mentioned, doubt is never attached. Doubt's never attached because there's confidence in this. And so as we see as John talks about Jesus coming to be the light, That Jesus is our confident hope. That from the darkness of this world, that the light is there, the light of life. We begin to understand that our biblical hope is not a feeling, but our biblical hope is the reality in Christ. 
That's on place your faith in him. Receive him. Believe in him and become. We get down at verses 10 through 13. It says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Let's focus on verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And so as John lays the foundation of who Jesus is, not only is Jesus the word, not only is Jesus the light, but Jesus is also the way. Jesus himself will say this in John 14, when Thomas comes to him, doubting Thomas that we know of in Scripture, the same Thomas that says, I will believe it is you, Christ, if you show me the holes in your hand following the resurrection. And Jesus does that. Well, as Jesus is telling them about the place that he will go and prepare for them, he begins to describe eternity with them. And Jesus is saying, this is where I'm going to go. And then Thomas, I love Thomas. I see so much of myself in Thomas. Thomas is like, well, hold up, Jesus. If you're going there, I want to go there. And I don't know how I'm going to get there. How do I get there, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's me. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's what John is communicating here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Scripture, in Acts, the early Christians weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way because even they would have acknowledged that the claims of Christ where he says that he is the way and Jesus is the only way of salvation. And he gives this beautiful picture here of what this looks at, three parts. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what does it mean to receive Jesus? What does it mean to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? I think this is an important thing for us. It's a phrase that we use often, and so let's talk about this. To receive Jesus. When Jesus offers himself to you, you welcome him, and you welcome him for who he is, and not who you want him to be. So when Jesus says, I'm, his, I'm your savior, you welcome his salvation of grace. When he says that he is your leader, you receive the leadership that he is bringing to you. When he says that he is your provision, you welcome his provision. When he says that he is your counselor, you welcome his counsel. When Jesus says he is your protector, you welcome and receive his protection. When Jesus says he is your authority, you welcome his authority. When Jesus says he is your king, you welcome him, his rule in you your life, not based on or determining what we want it to be, our interpretation of it, but who Jesus is. You see, it's not that you just receive salvation. It's that you receive Christ, and you receive him in his rule and reign in our life. 
You see, there is no, I just want the get out of hell free card. That doesn't exist. What I want is Jesus. And I receive him and his rule. But then also he says that we believe, that we believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? Well, for, for us, believing is not merely an intellectual agreement to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Demons believe that. No one knows who Jesus is more than Satan. He knows and understands and believes in those aspects of him. But believing in our mind that aligns with the surrender of our heart so that we no longer live for our praise, for our glory, and for our name, but for his. That's the depth of belief. That this believing has transformed who I am in my actions so that in this we become we become children of God. I'll never forget, some of you have heard of this guy, a guy named Francis Chan. And this was a long time ago, like pre, we, Aaron and I were married, but like freshly, newly married, no kids. And we were out at a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and we had this guy, Francis Chan, that was speaking to a group of us. And, and he got up there on stage, and I have a clue who he was, but I'll never forget his message because he talked about rights. And he says, we as followers of Christ are guaranteed two rights. Two rights. He said, number one, we have the right to suffer. And he preached through that for us. And then he jumped right here to John chapter one, and he said, we have a right to be called children of God. Because that's who we are. That when we receive and when we believe that we become, and that we become a part of his family because of who he is and because of what he's done. And then lastly, in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's why we celebrate this season that's why we put up Christmas trees in our house. That's why we put nativity scenes out. That's why we get up and put lights on the front of our homes and hang wreaths on our door. It's why we do and celebrate all that we have. It's why we place packages under the tree for us as believers because we're not just celebrating a holiday, but we're celebrating what is happening and what has taken place of who Jesus is, of who God is, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace in truth. And so as John is writing this, what he wants us to understand is that Jesus is with us. God himself in flesh. And that he would come on this earth, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, the earthly son of a carpenter, not of affluence, came from not the best part of town, lived and struggled through his life, went through a lot of the pains that we all go through, that began a point in time in his life where he set out on an intentional ministry, where men and women would come to follow him, 
where he would call for himself a certain core and an inner circle of disciples that would go everywhere he went, that would see everything that he would do, that would hear everything that he would say. And from that inner core, one would turn and betray him with a kiss, with a moment of a gift of affection. And that Jesus would be led to a trial and would be condemned for death and would stand there and take the punishment even though he didn't deserve it. Because the world had been, would be, and is filled with everyone else who does deserve that punishment. He would be beaten, he would be mocked, he would be stripped naked. He would be hung on a cross in between two criminals. He would have a spike ran through his feet and one through each wrist, and he would be hung on a cross and left there to die where his organs would begin to shut down because of the trauma that would be experienced in his death and in his crucifixion. And he would cry out, and death would come. But then three days later, three days later, and a miracle that only could happen in the work and the power of God, the lungs which no longer worked, the heart which no longer would beat, the body which would have become filled with decay would begin to pump life again. And Jesus, not as a figment of imagination or an illusion, but the physical body of Christ would come out of the tomb and would walk and would minister and would share hope. And when we read this verse, so often I've read this verse and it reminds me of Christmas. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But while this reminds us of Christmas, I want it to also remind us of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. The flesh which could be touched experienced the punishment that we deserved. Every hit that he took with the whip was one for you and for me. Every time the nail went through his feet was what you deserved and what I deserved. But he also dwelt. He lived. He laughed. He cried. He experienced emotion and pain. And in that, in his life experience, while he dwelt here, he experienced the death that we deserved. But because he is the word, because he is eternal, because he is creator, and because he is divine, death could not hold him down. And in that is why we recognize him as our Savior and Lord. You see, the Christmas season it is about a baby, but it's not just about a baby. It's about a baby who grows up to be a man, to die on the cross. It's about a baby who's fully God, who is a man who is fully God, who still rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father in the call on our lives to receive, to believe, and to become. Would you 
join me in prayer as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Lord, I thank you so much for this time that we could be here. I thank you for your saving work and all that you've done for us. Lord, if this, if you would have just come as a child and lived a life and died at a good old age and were still in the tomb, we would have nothing to celebrate. But you didn't. Lord, you came and took on the punishment that we deserved. You gave of your body to take on what our sins called for justice for. And you took the punishment off of us and you placed it on yourself. And Lord, as your blood was spilled, that blood washed us, made us clean, so that we are no longer who we were before, but we're who we are now in Christ and in Christ alone. And it is your name that we celebrate you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you take the bread... And the bread represents the body of Christ that took on the punishment that you and I deserved, but who stood in our place. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and we given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, the cup which represents the blood of Christ. So now that I am in Christ, I've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. It's now not my works that damn me to hell, but it is the work of Christ that brings me into eternal life with him. And Jesus, on that same night, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, in this season, as we celebrate your birth, may we remember your life, your death, and your resurrection. Lord, this season, may it be even more common, Lord, to sing of your praises and to share of your hope as those who've been bought, those who've been saved, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, beautiful opportunity. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that today would be the day that they could receive Christ. Lord, that you would open their minds and, Lord, open their hearts to the gospel of Christ, that they in and of themselves cannot save themselves, 
Their works will not earn for them salvation, but it is found through you and through you alone, Lord, that they'll receive you as Savior, that they'll receive you as Counselor, that they will receive you as authority, Lord, that they will receive you as King. And that, Lord, that they will believe. Just as John wrote, believe who you are, believe what you said. Believe that when you call us to take up our cross and follow you, Lord, that you mean it. That when you call us to keep our eyes focused in on you, Lord, that you mean it. And that, Lord, this belief will not simply be an an intellectual agreement, but it will be a transformation of the heart that leads us to the beautiful obedience to you. And that, Lord, in that, we become something. We become something. Not a part of a religion, but a part of a family. A family to celebrate you. It finds our life and our meaning and our identity. Who we are and who you called us to be in you and in you alone. And Jesus, we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to go into a time of response. We've got prayer encouragers on either side of the stage here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to talk with you. Maybe you came in here this morning and you want to talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus Christ. They would would love to talk to you about that. We just ask that you respond this morning and how God's leading you. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.